Learning how to connect with your children and talk through best practices with other fathers is essential because there is no manual. Building a legacy with your children is vital for their continual growth. Our mission is to celebrate and support fathers by equipping them with the tools and resources needed to lead successful families. We welcome you to Birthright Living Legacy Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is my astute pleasure and absolute glory and joy to bring you this next guest. I mean, you know, it's like, it's almost like I say this every time, but I just need you guys to understand. Like, I know some incredible people, uh, incredible fathers here in this, uh, what I like to call the Tulsa area. And so none other than the one, the only Dr. Gil is in the house. Now, this is like the director of community engagement at the Terrence Crutcher Foundation, also the head pastor uh, of his own church uh, as well. And then and then he's a husband. And on top of that, he's got two amazing children. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Dr. Eric Gill. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Man, the crowd is going wild right now. <laughs> this is crazy. Like this is, this is a beautiful thing. Man. I appreciate your hospitality. <laughs> I'm so, so funny, excited. Man. I'm so excited to have you here. Being like, bro. So, yeah, you just came hot off the road. Off the road, right? Hot off the road. So I had you, you preaching Muskogee this yeah. morning. What was it, what was a good word about? We talked about Noah. I think it was Genesis chapter eight. Verse 18, when Noah and his family got off the boat, and we talked about what happens whenever the storms in your life put you on mountaintops. Let's go. And God uses those things to put you on fertile ground. Come on now. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> oh, man. This is funny. So, man, you got to tell us, like, what was your favorite part about being your father's son? Favorite part about being my father's son? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. I'm not sure if I've really thought through that. Uh, Most people don't. That's why, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's why it's I, a good question, I think. Uh, yeah. And so he just even on the spot off the top of my head now, I guess. Uh, favorite part about being my father's son was watching his work ethic, being able to be present to watch how hard he worked, um, to have to be able to see how he expressed his love towards me um and shoot just being able to be blessed to say that i had a father that came home every day mm. so mm. so what was your family dynamic are you only child sisters brothers yep so i am officially the middle child but raised as the oldest my dad i have a stepsister um her name is toy she lives here in tulsa what's up toy uh <laughs> I have, uh, she's nine years older than me. My father had her whenever he was in high school. And then with my mother, he had me and my little brother, Jerl. And Jerl is 18 months younger than me. So, wow. yeah, we grew up together. They had kids at the same time. Having kids right now, they having kids at the same time is like twins. So they're crazy. I would <laughs> never do that, ever. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. So, so what did your what did your dad do for a little? Is so yeah. Um, so he was uh, in retail. So he worked. Um, from what I remember, he used to work at Ventures. He back in wow. the day. I don't know if you all remember Ventures. Uh, so he was a store manager of Ventures for a long time. I think 
uh, one of the best jobs I remember him having uh, because they actually gave him a cell phone. It was crazy. It was that big old cell phone. The, the, <laughs> the jack, block the battery, yeah. yeah. With uh, he, he was working for Goodwill. He was like in the regional office of Goodwill that used to be downtown. I think it's demolished now, but he was over something, over all the Goodwills uh, in the city. Uh, that was uh, one of the best jobs that he had. Then he was um, regional assistant regional manager. I know he was a manager of the CVS stores. And so he was just managed CVS stores and he did that until he retired. Wow. Um, just, so was he a big community man? Is that, did he impact you to start on your journey as a, as a community like activist slash, uh, you know, father figure for all of the, the children and things that you do? Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I see what you're saying. Uh, so he wasn't really too much of a, like a community activist, right? Mm-hmm. He wasn't going to be out and doing all that stuff. Uh, but our house was the hangout. Mm. Like all my friends, um, every stage in life was at the Gill house. And my dad was, you know, when we reflect back on it, all my friends had absent fathers oh, and wow. my dad was, uh, present for them. Uh, shoot. I, I mean, as far back as I can remember, uh, it's from sleepovers to my high school teammates, uh, just coming over to the house. Uh, yeah, our spot was a hangout spot. My dad was also a, uh, the children's, uh, director, youth children pastor at our church. He did that for 32 years. Oh, wow. And so that kind of shapes some a, of, yeah, that's definitely a community yeah. situation. Yeah. That shapes, you uh, <laughs> you can't be in the church and not be well, a yeah, community I guess so. guy. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I thought you was talking about, you know, more of the like rah, rah, get out and. Nah, and protest. That was probably like long before either of us were born. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The TC Foundation bringing it back, though. You know. Oh yeah, y'all, y'all that, that's it pulling it out of me. That's yeah. really the Virginia Union in me. Yeah, that's all another conversation. <laughs> the Virginia but, Union. Uh, but but <laughs> uh, but yeah, my dad, <laughs> my dad, he was a, a children's youth pastor for thirty two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, drove the bus again. Uh, so that mean, I mean. Picked up kids. Uh, even to this day, we walk through the neighborhood, um, east side of Oklahoma City, and kids, you know, grown people, I guess now, will stop them and, like, you remember, you taught me, I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-S-T-I-N. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so he did all that. Nice. Uh, so, yeah. You grew up in the city? Oklahoma City. I grew up in Midwest City. Oh, Born nice. and raised. I knew we had beef for a reason. I what, just now, where you from now? Tulsa. What you mean? Oh yeah, we. You know, we always <laughs> thought that y'all cats from up here in Tulsa was a little off. You know. We, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I I never. I when I talk to my friends like in Texas and stuff, they'd be like, "Why y'all be beefing?" I said, "Bro, I don't know." But it just. I just know it's deep. It's just something I'm just different to, about Tulsa people. I'm supposed you know, to, really, I'm supposed Oklahoma to City people don't beef with y'all. Y'all beef with us. No, that's not true. <laughs> when I moved to listen, when I moved to the city, my guy. And I, they was like, where are you from? I was Tulsa. They was like, mm. yeah, um, I was like, you know, I'm still black. Though. <laughs> <laughs> they just, they, I don't even understand what the deep line beef I, is, but yeah, it, it, it really is a beef. Like, I don't know. We used to go to parties yeah. back in the day. And, you know, for all my church folk, I don't do that stuff no more. Uh, <laughs> but we used to go to parties <laughs> back in the day. Uh, and we would be like, oh, the Tulsa, Tulsa. Tulsa people here, oh, all right, man. Be on your best behavior, man. You keep your eyes out, man. Yeah. You know, they're going to be on some stuff, man. That's how they do in Muskogee, too. <laughs> like, we just always almost guaranteed got into a fight. It just was crazy. Uh, so now when your dad was growing up with you, you know, doing all the stuff that he was doing, 
were was there like a path in his mind that he kind of conveyed to you of how he wanted you to be or were you like free to discover who Eric was going to be? Yeah, I was free to discover who I was going to be. But I, I mean, what my father always said to me and what I say to my son to this day is that I want you to be better than me. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, I didn't really understand what he was meaning when he said that because he was my superhero and Superman. Uh, but I get it now. Mm-hmm. that I am a father like I want you to be in a better space and place in life than I am um, and that's what I'm working my blessed assurance all for right mm-hmm. so that you could go spaces um, that I didn't dream of going my dad tells a story all the time when I got called to ministry um, that my pastor at the time uh, Reverend Dr. Lee Cooper told my dad that your son is going to go places that you dreamed of going mm. And whenever I go preach, um, get on planes and go and preach their different places and stuff like that, my dad always calls me and asks me how it was and how it went. And he always reminds me, I always wanted to get on a plane and somebody have somebody ask me to come and preach. And I went to seminary and went to school. I always wanted to be able to go to school. He was like, you're wow. living my dreams. And, uh, and what I've, told him just this past father's day as i told him thank you for dreaming yeah um so that i might be able to walk in that space that you didn't think were possible for you and so you've given me permission to dream and to work so there are spaces that my son walks in yeah so how, how how does that make you feel like when you're when you're basking in that thought of like wow you know like you know this was confessed over me my dad did all the work to lay the groundwork for me and now I'm actually getting to walk it out. And then seeing the legacy of your son and daughter coming next, it's like, what is that? What is that for? Like the feeling of it. Like, how does that feel for you? Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I didn't think about it until I had kids. Mm-hmm. So it's something that doesn't resonate with you until you're in that situation. And whenever my father said it, I was like, hey, yo, <laughs> man. Yo. Yeah. And I said, uh, I asked him one time, I said, do you love me like I love them? Mm. And he said, always, son. And it resonated. Yeah. Like, every day you got up, right, it was because you wanted me and my brother and my sister to have a better life, better than you. And that was your motivation. And so the feeling is a sense of gratitude Mm -hmm. now. It's a understanding of love and what that love looks like unconditionally the work ethic that goes along with it um the fluidity Mm -hmm. um of who he was uh, the space that he gave me to grow um all of that and so i mean i'm just over over the top grateful and then what it means for me is to model it like I was saying earlier, like I have the responsibility to dream and imagine spaces that I want to go in, mm-hmm. but I might not have or think that I have the capacity to be in, but I'm working hard to give my son the tools, my daughter the tools necessary to walk in those spaces mm-hmm. um, that I didn't even think was possible yeah. uh, for myself. So. Wow. 
So what was it like uh, growing up? What did you guys do for fun? Were you like the fishing tackle box kind of guys out hunting? <laughs> Were you the, the play basketball kind of, you know, like what was it? What was a fun thing for you? So especially since you had a brother so close. Yeah. Yeah. You guys probably had some real good time. Yeah. We, I mean, it was all the, the tussling and the fighting and stuff like that. We would, uh, when my mom would leave. Cause she would never allow to do it. Uh, you know, we weren't allowed to play in the living room. Right? Oh, yeah. But we would put pillows everywhere, and it'd be WWE. Like, yeah. we would just get going at it. <laughs> Wrestling and slamming. My dad slammed us on the ground and all this kind of stuff like that. We got to jump off the furniture and uh, and stuff like that. We always played until somebody got hurt. That was always the rule. <laughs> You always play till somebody got hurt. You so know, you know that's a medical that's a medical necessity. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know Once somebody I mean? got hurt, everything had to be cleaned up. It was no, nap I mean, time. Like, like, like it's it's supposed to have. So like one of the things that that fathers bring to parenting mm -hmm. that you know most people don't know is that rough and tumble play that you're describing is like absolutely necessary for young people, like girls and boys. If they don't experience, you know, playing until someone gets hurt, mm -hmm. what they don't understand is, is what is actual pain versus what is scary. And then they don't learn where their body ends and someone else's begins. So when they hurt dad or dad hurts them or whatever the case, mm -hmm. like they get to, you know, they get to feel like those emotions of, oh, wow. And then they get to get over it. Yeah. And so those are like intrinsic, valuable pieces to a young person's life. And if they don't experience that, you you, you get a bunch of weak people because they're all just all terrified of everything because they don't know, you know, what they're supposed to do or not do. That's so, interesting. You just helped me. Yeah, that's the whole yeah, thing. I, I mean, I'm tussling with my kids and stuff like that. Uh, so you telling me I need to let them hurt each other. Yeah, you got. <laughs> I mean, you know, you got to you got to you got to put some parameters around it. But. <laughs> There is, so Dr. Warren Farrell did a whole study on it where he was showing how, you know, if you can't articulate what fathers bring to the table, like it's really hard to get mothers to be okay with that when you're separated. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like when you're there at home, it's different. Like if you're married and all that, like, you know, moms can be a little bit more uh, graceful, shall I say, to let that happen. But mm -hmm. if you're just coming to my house at once every two weeks, and he comes back with like a scrape on his arm, like she's gonna freak out right, right, if she right. doesn't know like that's necessary. Right, right. Like not to abusive standpoints, but just to let them yeah, understand yeah, like tussling. this is yeah. this is a part of it. So that's awesome. WWE. Yeah, yeah, we did that, and he was my basketball coach too, mm -hmm. uh, growing up. So uh, I remember when I was, he asked me if I wanted to play basketball. I was in first grade. He wouldn't let me play till I was in second grade. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I had to spend a whole year learning how to dribble. And so every day we went outside and bring sleet of snow and we worked on ball handling drills. Wow. Um, and so that was a way for us to bond. Mm -hmm. And then again, like I said, he was my coach until I was in the sixth grade. Uh, and we had our own language like, uh, you know, red light, green light, red light meant. I needed to pass the ball to everybody else. Green light with games on the line. I could shoot the ball right now. I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, but really what he taught me was work ethic again, right? The consistency and work ethic and everything that's going to take to, you say, you say you fall in love with this. You say you want to take this stuff serious. Then this is what it takes. Yeah. Right. Rain, sleet, or snow. Yeah. Uh, weather can change. Situations can change, but you can be consistent in all of that. 
Wow. So, so did you guys have to compartmentalize relationships of bus driver dad, home dad, you know, uh, b- basketball coach dad, or did he blend well and they all just kind of really work for you? That's a good. That's a real good question. I don't think we we navigated between any of that, like because he blended it well, mm-hmm. and he he started his his philosophy was my ministry starts at home. So he was minister okay. Reverend Eddie Gill wow. um, in all the spaces, right? So <laughs> uh, all of them. Uh, <laughs> in basketball, he's Reverend, and, and that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> He's riveted all the spaces. So we got Bible verses. We had prayer, all the spaces. So, I mean, it's no wonder I'm a preacher now, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) And you and you and you went to college playing ball, right? Yeah. Ended up all five, seven of me. I played at five, ten, though. (laughs) Don't hate. (laughs) So he was Spud Webb's uh, starting at five, ten. That's right. Five, ten. (laughs) <laughs> hey, but you put the work in, and, and so you got to see it pay off, though. Oh, yeah. So that's, I, that's yeah. one of the benefits that most people don't see is they hear all the, this is what it takes, and then they, they still nothing. Yeah, I, I, I'm blessed. I, I counted blessing now because I coach, too, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I've had players that are gym rats that just don't get the opportunities, that uh, just don't have the eye that's on them. And, you know, their dreams didn't come into fruition. So I always counted a joy that all those things came into play at the same time to allow me to do what I, I love to do. Yeah, I love it. Well, let's let's go ahead and transition because I, I get to ask you a question that I rarely get to ask anyone else. So I'm going to save that one to the end. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. I'm so know. what is your favorite part about being a father? Oh, my goodness. Oh. How, how long we got on this podcast? Listen, you got, we got all day. We got 45 minutes. I love it all. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. I love it all. Uh, uh, I don't want to. You, no, you know ahead, what? Go I'm, I'm, I'm going to say what I heard on somebody say on uh, what was it, Instagram one time. He said, I had a son. And I, I, I realized that I love this person, like, unconditionally, without fault, without knowing who they're going to be. When they go, like, this person could grow up and do some wild stuff. But I'm going to love him. He's like, but then I had a daughter. Yeah. And I realized in that moment that I was a killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So I I think all that uh, was a jovial way to saying how much you love something. Um, and being able to articulate that love um, is I don't have an expansive enough vocabulary. So the laughs, mm-hmm. the giggles, um, the, the foot patters down the hallway uh i love all of it like um the like we were saying the wrestling and the the plan uh being able to see them and pour into them and try to teach them something and then see them finally figured out my son just now learned how to tie his shoes and like he was so excited that he tied his shoe by himself for the first time but we've been working on that since yeah. Since like Joe, my boy, like <laughs> <laughs> we, we've been working that for a while. So, yeah. so to see that, um, to see my daughter, um, get excited when I wake her up in the morning, yeah. like when I just wake her up in the morning, the first thing she wants to do is dad at like, yeah. and when I pick her up from daycare, you know, push the kids over, run to the door. Cause daddy's here, right. It's time to go. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I love, I love all of it. Um, I love the affection, I love 
their unconditional love. I, I think all the time that I am baffled by the fact that no matter how my day went, no matter what I think about myself, when I walk in that house, it's at least two individuals. Yeah. That's going to just love me no matter what. Yeah. And that's, that's so refreshing to me. Um, and it also teaches me like how to love other people as well. So yeah, well, I get to tell you something live on the air that uh, I never told you before. What's it's that? always about giving people their flowers while they're here, right? Uh huh. So when we met um, back when we went to Society Burger, right? Oh yeah, yeah. you brought your son with you. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> bro, I ne- I never told you this, but so because. When I had my first three kids, you know, I was baby daddy. So mm-hmm. I was just in and out, in and out, you know, being there when it's convenient for me kind of thing, situation. But when we sat there and ate, like me watching how patient you were, your son's like crying all over the seat. <laughs> like he's like, you know what I'm saying? All in the ear. And I was like, I was like, bro, you all right? He was like, oh yeah, this is my partner right here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and he was talking about how he was running up the rafters and coming down with the older kids. He'd fall down, but he'd get up. And, and I was just like. Oh, that's what that's supposed to look like. Yeah. So to this day, like when I go to the restaurant, my son be acting crazy. <laughs> I always think back to when we were sitting there, Society Burger, and I'm like, what would Coach A, what would Coach E do? You know <laughs> and I was like, man, my man done inspired me and didn't even know it. You know what I mean? Oh, to I you, appreciate that. that. that I remember that because he was all over the place. Man, and you didn't, you wasn't even phased, bro. You was just <laughs> like, yeah, so anyways, like I was saying. <laughs> I built a callus. Yeah. I was like, man, this is father of the year right I, here. I know exactly what's, when I had to take and bring him with me. I knew what time it was. Yeah. I know what it was about to be. But I appreciate that. Yeah, man. No, that's like I said, that's that's one of those things is because it's like, especially being, uh, you know, intentional father. You know, mm-hmm. we are always trying to wonder, like, are we doing enough? Are we doing the best job? Are we, you know, and it's like, but are we also setting our kids up? to know that they're important. Are they, mm-hmm. are we setting them up to know that they have the freedom to discover as well within the boundaries, but they have, they, if we constrain them to like, you know, I always think back to the way we were brought up. Yeah. We were brought up, you know, in the, in the eighties, nineties, like, Hey, you are a black kid in America. Calm mm-hmm. down. Like, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? And we had to be so rigid. And so uh regiment, it just, it's brought my heart so much joy to see a, a, a fella of your stature, you know what I mean? Be able to not be like preconceived with how everybody else might've viewed it. You were just like, no, my son is here Mm -hmm. and he's supposed to be able to enjoy himself. I'm going to make sure he's not hurting himself or anybody else. But you know, and like I said, to this day, man, like, like that gives me great joy. And I've never got to tell you that, but I just wanted to let you know that that, that has been something that is, Got me through fatherhood, especially I got an 18 month old kid now. So like, (laughs) I'm praying, I'm yet praying for you. I promise you. So when I do it, it's like, man, I gotta, oh yeah, yeah. Let me calm down. You know what I'm saying? What would doc do? Yeah. 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 But no, to that, to that point, like my wife and I operate with, um, gentleness and grace when it comes to our kids. And to your point, like we were raised, I was raised, spare the rod, spare the child. Right. So you know, we we would get some hands put on us, bro. <laughs> yeah. Like belt belts, switches, yeah. extension cords, yeah. all that. And we had to go get our own switch. Too. And if if my if I would have acted how my son acted when we were at society, I would have got a whooping. Yeah. Like it wasn't no like you got to sit and yeah. be still. Yeah. And even, um, you know, when 
we know that toddlers, young kids, like they got they got to be moving. Got to. Um, and so that's one of the things. Or they that, sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's one of the things my wife and I are trying to deconstruct mm-hmm. amongst ourselves and to exemplify in our kids, right? Um, so uh, we don't spank, we don't whoop. Really? Yeah, we don't do that, brother. Wow. What is your uh, What has been your alternative? So our alternative has been now uh, that Amir is older and he kind of has like things that he wants, right? Mm-hmm. Video games and TV time, screen time. So we'll we actually have a behavioral chart. Mm-hmm. And so the behavioral chart has different varying levels. It has rewards and it has uh, punishments. Um, but in the middle is like, you know, you know, you're in yellow, I think it is. And then above the yellow is green and purple and purple is a reward. So you get to receive something, but then you go down to orange and red. When you get down to orange, bro, you need to start thinking about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you get down to red, well, we about to have, like you either need to go to timeout or you about to get some stuff that's taken away from you. But mm-hmm. because we've had this instituted in our house, if he goes to orange, Right. Like, it's just like, oh, OK, I apologize. Like, don't don't take nothing from me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my son, uh, he's so uh, wants to do right. He's a perfectionist already. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I've observed of him. And I'm trying to deconstruct. Right, bro. Like, just be your authentic self. And that's enough. Yeah. You don't need to be perfect. You're going to mess up. You're going to fail. But learn how to get back up. Um, and so whenever he does go to orange in those situations, it's very rarely that he goes to red. Uh, he's beats up himself more than I could ever beat him up. Yeah. And I so, hear that a lot where fathers are like, man, you know, every, every punishment for every child is different. Cause mm-hmm. you know, they all react and respond different. And it's like, every time they ask like, what, what do you think your punishment should be? And it's always like, Oh yeah, they put a ten on a two. Yeah, and you're like, wow, I would have never. Yeah, I wouldn't have said, said all that, of that. <laughs> you was about to eat some peas or something, but now, all right, right. yeah, we're gonna do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, how did you guys implement? Your your wife is an educator, right? Uh, well, she works for TPS, but she's in nursing. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. How did you guys come about the uh, the chart system? So, actually, Pinterest. Shout okay, out to Pinterest. Shameless plug. If you uh, want to sponsor my man here, Birthright Legacy, hit him up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it was actually in, in Pinterest. And then, you know, like, you know, I'm a researcher. So I research uh, v- various um, reward and um, uh, consequence kind of theories for children that are alternatives. Uh, Stacy Patton is an author that I read. Um and I think the book is called Spare the Rod, Spare the Child. Uh, but um, she does a great job of articulating the not only the connection between child rearing and beating um, and its connotations within the framework of slavery and how it's kind of progressed over time, uh, but also as a way of individuals lashing out on their own emotions, own frustrations, own angers, on a child who does not know how to articulate those feelings that you have the vocabulary to articulate mm-hmm. at times. And so she strongly encourages finding alternative ways to not only deal with your own emotions, but try to teach your children about these big emotions that their bodies are having that are foreign to them, that they really cannot understand and explain why they're acting a certain way. Um, but trying to give them the language to be able to do that. Wow. 
So take us back a little bit. Take us back to uh, Dr. Eric Gill, single man, um, just met your wife. You know, uh-huh. you guys get married. Do you guys discuss kids at, at, at the forefront or is it just part of the, 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 the mating, loving each other thing where it just happens or? Yeah, no, nah, me and my wife were very intentional. So we met 2012 and we didn't have a mirror until 2017. Okay. And so we were intentional about dating one another, mm-hmm. intentional about uh, planning for when we wanted a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and we essentially, you know, our plan was to have two and a oops. <laughs> <laughs> and we would make, make room for two and a oops. Yeah, oops. Uh, but uh, we wanted to travel first. So my wife and I traveled. She did travel in nursing. Uh, and we would just, Go random places. Like, we lived in Baltimore for eight months, or no, six months. Uh, we would uh, just get on the plane and fly different places. We would go to New York and all those things uh, while we were young. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we decided to have a kid, and we were blessed that on our first try, uh, we had Amir, 2017, uh had a miscarriage mm-hmm. in 2020 uh and then we had baby girl so amir is four and a half years older than his sister mm-hmm. uh but my wife had postpartum depression right and mm-hmm. so like the thought of having back-to-back kids that's what i was saying at the top of this thing like my parents having me and my my brother 18 months apart like i can't even i can't even fathom that right yeah like Amir by himself was a handful. Like both of us, uh, it took all of us to to get him to a a, a space of independence, <laughs> so that we could have a whole another kid. Uh, so yeah, we were very intentional about the whole thing. Um, so yeah, was that like your goal? Were you always like, man, I can't wait to be a father, or was it like, I hope to get married and then if we have kids, kind of thing? Yeah, I, I've always been the straight and narrow guy. Just such a L seven square. That's what they used to say back in the day. Uh, so yeah, I always did everything by the book. So it He's was stunning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm gonna let you slide. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> I'm gonna let you slide with that one. Uh, always. Uh, that's because I got church people listening. I already know. Yeah, okay. You know Thank you. Uh, <laughs> he, never had, he never had a pass. He never did anything wrong. <laughs> let me, let me, let me. Get there it is. There it is. It's real fluffy. And, yeah. Uh, but no, I always, I always wanted to get married. Um, really, I knew I wanted to have kids, but I didn't want to have that many kids. My mom is 10 of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, and then my, it was four. My dad is four of them, of them, my aunties and uncles. And, like, just to hear my grandmother's stories about having that many kids, <laughs> I'm like, bruh, I don't want to. I, if I have one, I'm good. Right? Yeah. Like, I'm not spending all these money. Kids are expensive. Very. Right? <laughs> Very. And we're talking time collateral, too. What? Ooh. Nah, bruh. And so, yeah, we. that's why we said three, I mean, two and a oops. Uh, I knew I wanted a boy. Got one right out the gate. And I was good. Right? Like, yeah. so... Uh, Amir is actually about to turn five. Uh, well, you know, we had a miscarriage whenever he was probably like right at four, with three and some change. And then I told Kendra, I said, if he turned five, 
And we ain't had I'm not going back (laughs) 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 And it ain't happening Like it ain't happening It ain't what God wanted for us So so, uh, so I, I, we we rarely get to talk about this, you know. I, I I'm very open about it, and, and you can welcome to pass if you want. Um, we just had two miscarriages in the last ten months. Wow! And so there's not a lot of fathers that have the opportunity to talk about how those instances affect them. Mm-hmm. You know, we we are very well trained to be able to be there for our wives, take care of them, make sure that they are, you know, in a position of a good place. Uh, and again, like I said, you're welcome to pass, but could you expand a little bit about how that affected you in that transition? Were you able to, you know, be able to kind of process that quickly or did it take time for you? Yeah. And I don't think I can talk about how it affected me without talking about how it affected my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I can go back just a little bit. So we had a real close friend of ours um, that previous year. And so our miscarriage is 2020. So 2019, we had a close friend of ours who um, was married before us and they had been trying to have a kid and they had a miscarriage. And so my wife and I kind of walked with them Mm. through that, their journey of having a miscarriage and all the taboos, all the questions um, that they dealt with. Right. And it was like, oh, my goodness, like people unknowingly uh, just say things that really can cut people yeah um and so we walked with them through that not thinking that that was going to be our story or our narrative and lo and behold uh in the middle of the pandemic right when it started april uh uh, the first the first friday in april my wife got transferred we hadn't told anybody that she was pregnant she was probably like seven weeks pregnant at the time so he hadn't told everybody, but she got transferred to the COVID floor of her hospital. She had to tell her supervisor that she was pregnant. She couldn't go to the COVID floor because she was, you know, pregnant. That Monday, uh, the next Monday, she got uh, fired. Right? They let her go. Wait, they, they what? Her, yeah, they let her go because, I mean, at that time, which now looking back doesn't make sense with the nursing shortage in the middle of a pandemic, but they let her go. And so that whole week she was down because she had been let go. That next Monday, uh, we were doing our routine checkup and we were notified that the baby was supposed to be like eight and a half weeks, but it had only been seven weeks and two days. Mm. And so they were like, if it hasn't happened already, this is what's going to happen. And I just remember that moment for me, like the room just stood still because I'm still trying to process like everything that's happening. And I'm like, okay, this ain't my body. Like what's my wife going through? So I'm trying to make sure that, uh, that she, um, is good, but to hold her hand through that, to realize that her Lois had a basement, her lowest moment had a basement. Like, to me, uh, what I had to do is, I, it's probably not healthy, uh, but I negated my emotions and my feelings and gave everything I had to her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, uh, whatever she needed, man, yeah. uh, you need me to rub your feet, you need me to go pick the kids up, you need me to do the 
the laundry. You need yeah. meat, like all of everything. All the things. Uh, all the things. I did all the things uh, to be wholeheartedly and fully present with her. Now, I will say this, that also at that same time, we were trying to do something at work. It was this large, uh, I think it was a food giveaway, and we had, I had the miscarriage. But I was so focused on being what I needed to be for her and not navigating my own emotions that I couldn't even focus on the work that I had to do to make sure that this community food drive got off. And I ended up like dropping the ball at work. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't until later when I started going to see my therapist and things of that nature that I was able to expound on my emotions. Um, I was able to acknowledge that the reason why I was dropping the ball and not really caring about work is because like I'm grieving. Yeah. And Absolutely. it's a different type of grief when you grieve the possibility of what something could be in a fetus. Like, I didn't meet the fetus. I didn't yeah. give the fetus a name. Mm-hmm. We didn't get to bury it, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, so that's a different type of grief yeah. and disappointment. Oh, like, yeah. it's to be so high and then to come back down. Like, we, it, to the point to when we had and got pregnant with, with baby girl, Imani, we didn't even let ourselves celebrate. Yeah. Like, yeah. we was just cautious the whole the time. The whole time. The yeah. whole time. Like, <laughs> it's it's crazy that you say the possibility, because that was what got my wife, was like, we never got to meet her. We mm-hmm. never got to, you know, the doctor had just said, oh, based on the heart rate, it might be a girl. And, like, so we went there. You yeah. know, we, we started to see all the possibilities of everything, and then this the second one was way more graphic than the first yeah you know the first one you know when it happened we were doing a podcast upstairs mm-hmm. wife walks downstairs and it drops between her legs and she just the way that she said my name i knew something was seriously wrong yeah and so i come downstairs look in the sink and she's just like bawling yeah. So I put it in a in a clam, tell everybody y'all got to go. You know, we go to the, you know, somebody tells us we need to go to the hospital. We go sit for like eight hours. They take the baby. We never see it again. And then they tell us what happened. I had to make a video, you know, because I just couldn't see. I had just hoped, man, people, please watch this video. Yeah. Do not spend the next nine months walking up to my wife, reminding her of this situation. Oh, man. You know what I mean? Like, and it just, in that's those it, are the shards I was telling you about the people cutting you. And inevitably, every mm-hmm. time, hey, and so that baby on the way, how's it kicking? Or like, not, but not even no. that. Like, when, when y'all gonna try for number two? Yeah. That, and oh. you're like, bro, we've been trying. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just see that we just lost number yeah, two. Yeah. And then the third, you know, it just was like, oh. And then so now she's just like really devastated. Yeah. And we still have the ashes that we still have to do something with. Mm-hmm. But it's like, ah, what yeah. a process to go through. You know yeah. what I mean? And and it's something like you were saying that definitely my wife articulated that it wasn't talked about amongst her motherly circles. Right. Uh, amongst her mom, amongst her grandmother. But whenever it happened to her, everybody had a story. Everybody about it. got a story. And so it's just like, well, why are we why are we not helping one another? Like, yeah. Operate through this. Why are we like cause you got me thinking that like I'm supposed to be having sexual intercourse and then the baby supposed to come. Yeah. And it ain't nothing else in between. There's no yeah. other possibilities. Like it's just that. Yeah. And then I'm not prepared for the shattering of hope. Man. 
and the uh, and the overwhelming abundance of nonsense that comes with it. Because, oh, yeah. like you said, you know, out of the woodworks, we got people like, "Oh, we had five, or I had nine, or we had six. and I'm like, "What? Yeah, like so why I actually you? I actually felt bad because we only had one. Yeah, and like, and I have friends that have had multiple, multiple, and I'm just like, "Man, goodness, like, yeah, you better than me. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, shoot, I just. After the second, I'm I was just like, bro, I don't know if I want to try. No yeah, more. I'm like, like, just why you talk about hopeless? <laughs> yeah, it's a wrap. So I want to definitely come out of that because uh, you know that's a that's a deep deep area. We'll that's do heavy. that. You we'll don't talk, have a transition for that. We'll talk. We'll talk about more. <laughs> we'll talk. Okay. Well, I got a transition. For okay. <laughs> okay. There it is. <laughs> My man Jay-Z might come after us for that, though. (laughs) (laughs) But the one question I wanted to ask you that I don't get to ask, uh, I've never got to ask a guest, but I think that you'll be appropriate one to answer. What is your favorite part about being a a stand-in father, like a coach? Like, what is your favorite part about being a coach and helping develop other young people? Oh, my goodness. I love it. So, uh, uh, it's... It's one of those things that I didn't know it was my life's work until here recently, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. Uh, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, basketball coach since 2012, but I also, like, worked at basketball camps. Like, that's one of the things we did when we was in college to make little money on the side was to work the basketball camps. So I've always been around kids, uh, and my whole thing has always been – I want you to know what I wish I knew at your age. Mm. And that is my passion. Right. Yeah. Like when I see somebody playing basketball and the things I had to figure out when I was in college in a gym all by myself, I want to teach you when you're in the third grade. And wow. I wonder like if I teach it to you now in the third grade that how much better of a basketball player will you be? As a youth pastor, there's some things that I did not know about myself at your age, my possibilities, the things that I could see, the things that I could achieve. I didn't think of myself as Reverend Dr. Eric. I didn't think it going to get a doctorate was even in my cars. I was hooked on phonics. Yeah. What? <laughs> but to, to, to take kids on HBCU tours across the country. Yeah, we're going to get into that because I want to talk yeah. about that for sure. But yeah, go yeah. ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, but to take them into spaces and expand on them what their possibilities could be is a beautiful thing. And I'm old now, older now. So, like, the kids, the young people that I started with are starting their own families, mm. are starting their careers. And when I, I stay in contact with them and the things that we joke about, the things that we reminisce about aren't the basketball games. We don't know how many wins and losses we got. Uh, It's not uh, the Bible studies. It's those times when we were having a snowball fight in Washington, D.C., right? It's the uh, um, having all my basketball players who have a rite of passage whenever they turn seniors get to come over my house and have steak. I make steak for them, and I follow them on social media. That is your rite of passage. We are now a Friends. Yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We friends now. Uh and so it's it's all of those things that I love. I really love to see their maturation. I love to see them walk in the fullness of who they are. I love for them to see what I see in them and then yeah. go try to achieve it. Wow, you said so many things all at once. <laughs> I don't even I we don't even have enough time to go through all of that. Man. So yeah, that okay, so wow, you went from adult to 
Uh, you went from, from, from parent to adult, and you brought them from child to adult mm-hmm. by going to rite of passage and letting yeah. them know, like, we are friends now, equal in the sense of you have made it to a point where, you know, I can see you differently, mm-hmm. but I need you to respect yeah, they know. Are, they, yeah, they still know now. I got these hands. Yeah, yeah. in Jesus' name. <laughs> try Jesus, don't try me. <laughs> Cause uh, I fight. Right, I right, love right. it. No. And, and so the HBCU, I got to get to that because that was one of my. That was one of the dreams that I had actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when I was in prison, I made these cutouts of uh, this vision board. And you're the first. Well, there's another pastor that I uh, read about that's in Texas that does this. Mm-hmm. And I think we were talking about it. And then you were like, no, we, I've been doing that since. Da-da. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. And so you had told me about one, tell, tell, tell the people what the trip is. And then what is the requirement for the pre- preparation to go oh, on? Goodness. Trip? So I'm a, uh, any, anytime I tell a story about my HBCU tours, I honor my very first youth group because it was from their vision and their dream that we I even thought about HBCU tours. So I am a youth pastor in Milford, Virginia. Y'all got you're gonna have to like really go deep <laughs> in the map on the backside of Virginia <laughs> to find out where it is in Bowling Green, uh, Virginia. On the backside of Virginia, my youth group was. I think I might have had 12 kids, maybe 15 on a good day. Uh, And they all ranged from elementary kids all the way up to high schoolers, seniors in high school. So I had a a whole eclectic group of seniors. One of the things I asked them, we shoot the, the, the youth budget was whatever I can muster up. We, we had Little Caesars pizzas, five dollar pizzas, and, <laughs> and we made that one pie yeah. last through twelve people. Man, listen, I cut that thing up into slivers. You hear me? Uh, but <laughs> I know so that. Li- I know that <laughs> limited resources, but they dreamed one time. Like I, I asked them just to dream with me. Like if you could do anything, like what would y'all do? And they said all this stuff, and and one of the things was like we want to go on the tour. Like we want to. Go, you know, just leave Milford, Virginia, go somewhere else. So that ended up being me taking them from Milford, Virginia down I-95 just to go to Virginia Unions. Uh, I can remember the name of the uh, program, but uh, something brown, I can't remember. Lord Jesus. Uh, But they had uh, a program at Virginia Union, and that was my very first HBCU tour. It was literally like a 45-minute ride from the backside of Milford, Virginia in a bus down to Virginia Union, and that's where it started, and that was like in 2010. Mm. And then, God bless me, I got the uh, opportunity to go to uh, move to Oklahoma City, a church with a little, little bit more resources, and we used to have uh, chicken and waffle sales, fundraising, so that yeah. we could get a, a charter bus. And the first place we went was Texas. Like, oh, yeah, man, we're going to go to Texas, and I'm going to let them have a week uh, in Texas. And so we just went to all the HBCUs in Texas and I uh, did that from 2013 until 2017 and just small trips. We didn't go anywhere far. We, I think we went to Texas and we kept going to Texas. We would go to Arkansas. Um, but then it, like I always had a vision, like I'm going to take a bus of kids to the East coast, like, and we're going to go to all the HBCUs. And I was blessed, man, to be a youth pastor at Metropolitan Baptist Church here in Tulsa under the leadership of Ray Owens. And and he, to his credit, didn't think I was crazy, right? Yeah. And it wasn't no more um, chicken and waffle dinner fundraisers. Like, yeah. he put it in the budget wow. and said that if this is your vision, 
then this is what you do. Come make it come into fruition. And I actually partnered with Dr. Marshall, who used to be a teacher up at Booker, Booker T. Washington yeah. High School. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that, so at this time, he was living in Washington, D.C. So he literally gave me his schematics, all his, his logistics, one by one of everything that he would do whenever he would do the HBCU tours. He just bestowed it to me like a file. Wow. And so I literally just, because of Dr. Marshall, because of the generosity of Metropolitan Baptist Church, because of... Uh, Ray Owens, Dr. Ray Owens believing in me, man, we went and did that thing. And from 2018, we went, took 56 kids on a charter bus. We left at midnight on a Saturday, went to Atlanta, hit all the HBCUs in Atlanta, went up the East Coast, went up to South Carolina, stopped in South Carolina at Shaw, went up to North Carolina, North Carolina A&T, and then went up to Virginia. We went to Hampton. We went to Howard. Went to Virginia Union. We stopped at a day in Washington, D.C. and went to the National African American History Museum because all Ooh. my trips have a historical component to it. I love that museum. Yeah. And so we did that one year. Went to, And so I do it intentionally teaching and going out far and bringing the kids back in. Yeah. Because the reality is, is that most kids, when you when you realize what that out of state tuition is, yeah. you gonna stay close to home. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I take the group out far, so that they can just see that this is a possibility. This is the world. Yeah. Like it's bigger than Tulsa. It's bigger than Oklahoma. It's bigger than Texas because that's most all my kids go Texas and Arkansas. Yeah. And so we take them everywhere. Like um, the year after that, we went to the southern states and we went to new orleans and we went to mississippi we went to alabama uh alabama and am we went to tuskegee we went down to tallahassee then we uh went to, to famu went to famu, FAMU. and then i surprised them and we went all the way down to orlando and we spent the day at volcano bay is the new water park that's out there but the kids are never like my parents would just dream about taking me to Disney World but like to be able to say that yo you give me $350 for the week you I'm gonna watch your kid for $350 for the yeah, whole, week. whole week food all that paid for and in in the midst of that that 350 is gonna pay for them to go have these experiences uh we went to plantation uh that was in New Orleans uh we went to the equal justice initiative uh, uh lynching museum these, see all these kids that look like them Oh, yeah. To see this, the kids that look like I didn't have my first black teacher until I was in at Virginia Union. Wow. So I was 25 years old before I had my first black teacher. Wow. And so that was the first time. And my first black male teacher was 25 years old, too. So I had never seen like a black intellectual hmm. until I was 25. So those are things like I want again. I want you to see what I didn't see till I was older hmm. at an earlier age. And so. Excuse me. Is this something I'm I'm passionate about? Did my doctoral work on it and all that. So, man, well, I hate that we're running out of time. We're gonna have to have <laughs> you come back because this is just so much. But excuse me, uh, for people that are trying to find you, because you're doing a lot of work in the community uh, at the churches, uh, how can they find you if they want to come and uh, see you preach or 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 see some of the things that you guys are organizing down at the TC Foundation? Oh yeah, you can definitely go to TerrenceCrutcherFoundation.org. And my information is on TerrenceCourtsFoundation.org, and you can find out all the things that we're doing. I'm going to take this time right now and let you know that we're about to have a community walk. Let's go. That's coming up. Uh, And the community walk is where we go out into the community and have listening sessions, and we want to engage with the community. We're having that on April the 4th, or April the 1st. Yeah, 
April. <laughs> yeah, I gotta make sure I get in my April. dates right. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 in April. I'm gonna pull my calendar out. Uh, it's April the 11th. Let me stop lying. Yeah, so April the 11th, we having community walks. Uh, no, it's eight. April the eighth. I keep saying bad time. They mad at me. April the eighth. Yep, we having a community walk, and so I would love for you all to be my uh, personal guests at those community walks that we are having. Um, um, so you could have the events. Y'all always have events on the same day that I can't go. <laughs> no, no, but you, but you, listen now. You've already done your work, we, and you've been out there with us. So don't do that. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, no, no. But, I, I, but yeah. I'm glad I get to go when I can. But you guys are usually scheduling things. It's like the eighth. I gotta. Egg drop that I gotta do. Oh yeah, and that's like, Easter dang. too, huh? Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, but anyway. we, yeah, we, yeah, we get out in the community. So yeah, you can reach me at TerrenceCrutcherFoundation dot org, or uh, if you're on the spiritual side and want to hear hear your boy preach, I am the uh, executive pastor, co pastoring with my uh, family out in Antioch Baptist Church, and so I'd love for you all to come and uh, be our guest at Antioch, man. You can find us at Antioch org, Antioch And, and you can join us virtually on YouTube every Sunday at 10 30. Yeah. When our service begins. So I love it. Well, yeah. If you guys are in the community or in the area, uh, and you can get there for that April 8th, man, I tell you, there's no better way to really be impactful uh, a lot of times people feel like I don't have enough money or I can't I can't change the world. But it's like if you get out here and just get to let your community members see you uh, and hear you and you be, hear oh, them, yeah. you know, it does it does something that you just can't put into words. Yeah, it's, you know? it's very impactful. I, and, and the thing is, is that most of the time whenever people knock on your door is because they asking for something from you. Mm-hmm. And what we do with these community walks, we want to hear from you. Yeah, we ask in. That you just uh, uh, speak to us. Yeah. We want to be a listening ear. Yeah. That's all. We want to hear about things that um, are concerning you. So yeah, because they got the leverage. They also have the uh, the ability to be able to speak to say, "Hey, this is what the community is actually saying." Yeah. Forget what you said on the news or what y'all trying to put out. We've talked to the community. Yeah, yeah. We actually done done. It. Yeah, we and it we wasn't just it. during the election cycle. Yeah, we Hello. doing it every weekend <laughs> if we can. You know. So yeah, I just want to. I just want a big, big shout out to uh, Tiffany Crutcher and uh, or Dr. Tiffany Crutcher, sorry, and the uh, the whole TC Foundation. Man, you guys have been uh, an amazing uh, beacon of hope for you know the community here in North Tulsa uh, to bring awareness to a lot of different things, man. So I'm so glad that you joined the team because uh, it just speaks to all the things that you're already doing. Indeed. Uh, and then just you know, you know, over at Antioch, you know, he throwing it down. You know, yeah, yeah. we ain't got a chance to come check him out, but we did get to see you over at the Met. Oh yeah, you did pull up on me at the yeah, Met. Yeah, we one had time. to pull up on you. Yeah, you did pull up on me. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I pulled up on you three times. And I said my little, I said my little Easter speech. <laughs> one, he wasn't there, and then the other one, they was closed for COVID. Steve. Oh yeah, you know okay. what I'm saying. So we pulled up on you a few times. Well, God bless you. <laughs> But uh, anything else you need? Uh, any lasting words for the world before we go into the private fatherhood group? Uh, I don't have any lasting words, man. Well, hey, you heard it. Am first. I supposed to not? Am I supposed to have some lasting words? Well, She's I mean, about to push the wanna, transition thing you over here. Want to give some lasting words? Oh, okay. Tell, tell I, hey, listen, I tell I tell the fathers this. I tell them what I I live off of, and what my dad told me: create a world for your kid to be better than you. Teach them what you wish you would have known at their age. Now, it doesn't get much better than that, ladies and gentlemen.
All right. Thank you for joining us here on the uh, Birthright Living Legacy podcast. Make sure to like and share if you heard or seen anything you like. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms. We'll be able to tag Dr. Eric Gill and the Tulsa in uh, the uh, Terrence Crutcher Foundation so that way you can easily find them and find what they're doing here in the community and make sure to check out any of the up-and-coming events that we have. We got the Fatherhood Love Lottery sweepstakes next. Birthright Living Legacy needs your help. As we are on a mission to help fathers who are needing to overcome obstacles to see their children. We are preparing to provide curriculum, counseling, and family law assistance for any of our fathers. We will also have many fun events to participate in with their children as we build a fatherhood community. Partner with us on Facebook or Instagram and go to our website at brlivinglegacy.com and go to our donation tab on the bottom of the page to make a contribution. For any questions, contact us on any of our platforms as we would love to help. Birthright Living Legacy changing lives one father at a time.